So you may have already discerned we're going to have story time a little later. So we'll push these back a little for now so I can walk back and forth. Hey, something very, very significant is going to happen tonight. I can't tell if it's for our region or for the whole country. Usually worshiping and waiting, we get there, we don't know what's going to happen. The Lord's given me something very specific for us tonight. And I I just believe amazing things are going to happen. So I encourage you, either come live or watch online. Don't watch online. Participate online. Um, All right. Would you mind standing with me in honor of God's word? We're in a, we are in a series uh, from 1 Peter called Precious Faith. And our text today is 1 Peter 2, 21 through 25. To this you are called... Because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you for your word. Lord, this is a word I believe you have given me directly from heaven. Now, Lord, we all need you to come and deliver the word. So hide me behind your cross. Let your Holy Spirit have full passage here in every single one of our hearts. Give us ears and hearts to hear what your spirit is speaking. We ask this together in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. You may be seated. So the title of the message is Precious Faith, Healing for Our Souls. Point one is the one who judges justly. So it says this about Jesus that when these insults were coming, when he was being... um, he was experiencing suffering at the hands of people that he entrusted himself to the one, speaking of the Father, who judges justly. He did not entrust himself to Pilate. He did not entrust himself to Herod. He did not entrust himself to the Jewish Sanhedrin, which was kind of the ruling body. He entrusted himself to the Father. He trusted God who judges justly. Proverbs 29, 26. Many seek an audience with a ruler, but it is from the Lord that one gets justice. You got to go above the rulers to the Lord himself to get justice. So I grew up, there are six siblings in my family, but there's two groups. There's the four older one, four older ones, and then there was, my mom had a miscarriage, and then there's the two, the little boys. That's me and Jimmy. 
We, we came last. We kind of grew up separately, and we spent a lot of time together. Well, I'm a year and a half older than Jimmy. I'm not proud of this story, but when I was 12 and he was 10, how many know that older siblings can be very cruel to younger siblings? <laughs> so every, every August, we would go school shopping, and we would get new stuff, and so it turns out that specific year, I'm about 12, Jimmy's about 10, I really like some of the things that he got, and I devise this plan whereby uh, we're going to have a time of trading. And so we're up in my room, and he agrees to this, and so uh, we, we have, I have him model his different things, and, and I'm really downplaying his new outfits And then I have him try on some of my old outfits and start praising him and about how great that is and how great that looks. And even though it's a little older, it's brand new to you and da-da-da-da. Long story short, in an hour, I have all of his new clothes. (laughs) I now have all of my new clothes and I have all of his new clothes. And in a moment, he recognizes all at once what has happened. Here's what he does. Mom! Mom! And he starts pursuing. He's finding mom. Mom! Mom! This is what time he did. This is what time. And mom comes up. She realizes what's happened. She says, Tommy, give all those clothes back right now. And so in about one minute, justice came. Everything was back. Everything was back in order. He didn't go to my older sisters. My older sisters would have sympathized. They would have called me horrible. They would have tried to shame me into doing it. But justice, they didn't have the authority to bring justice. Could have gone to my older brother, Mike. Once again, he would have cared. He would have said, boy, that's really bad. But he couldn't bring He went right to the one that could bring justice speedily to the one who judges justly. Jesus was in, went right to the one who judges justly. So then, why did he, why did he suffer unjustly? If he's trusting God, who judges justly, then why did he have to suffer what he suffered? And of course, if you know the story, this is what the gospel is. It turns out that what Jesus was doing on the cross was God's justice for sin. God's justice for our sin. In Romans 3, verse 25, it says that Jesus became a propitiatory sacrifice for our sin. And that's a very theological term. To be a propitiation means it's a sacrifice that takes wrath from the deserved object to itself. It, it takes the place of the one that actually deserved death, the one that deserved judgment, the one that for, her, for his or her sins deserved God's holy wrath, and it diverts it to itself. And this is what happened in the gospel. Jesus took our place. That is the good news. In just a few verses later, in 1 Peter 3.18, it says this, Christ died for sins, the just for the unjust 
in order to bring us to God. Jesus did for us what we could not do ourselves because of our sin. He brought us back to God. Before a holy God, sin had to be paid for. He paid the price. On the cross, he said these words, it is finished. That, that phrase, it is finished, it's one Greek word. It's the word telesky in the Greek. And it means, it's an accounting term, it means paid in full. This was the plan from the beginning. That God, in his great love, would come and he would take our place. He would pay for our sins. And in one act would fulfill the holiness of God versus sin. And the love of God for sinners. This was the plan. So what about the one who judges justly? What does Jesus get for doing this? How can this be justice that he would die in our place? Listen to what Jesus gets. This is Philippians 2, 8 through 11. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And get this, to the glory of God the Father. You want to glorify God? Then you need to bow to Jesus. You want to glorify God? Then you need to confess Jesus. God has made Jesus the way to get right with him. Jesus will have that glory for all of eternity. The one who judges justly. Point two is Christ suffered for you. So 1 Peter 2.21, the beginning of our passage, it says that Christ suffered for you. And immediately what comes into all of our minds is he died instead of me. Jesus took my place. Just as I just got done saying, he is my substitution. He, when he died for me, it means he died instead of me. He took my, my sin upon himself and he, he bore my punishment, which was death. But then Peter says, no, no, I'm not talking about as your substitution. He died for you as an example for you to follow. In his steps. That he has modeled for us how to live in righteousness in an unjust world. How to confront injustice. How to live in this world that is going to cheat you. That is going to, in many ways, is twisted. Here is how you can live in righteousness. It says that Christ suffered for our sins. He died for our sins so that, and we expect it to say, so that we could live. He died so that we could live. But you know what it says? It says, Jesus died so that we would die. And then be, die to sin and then be able to live to righteousness. Remember, remember last week with the chickens? 
Remember the chicken sin in us, the power of the sin nature, and it just always, it's always wants its way, and it's always upset, and it's always, it's always, you know, fighting back. Jesus died so that we would be empowered to die to the sin nature, so that the sin nature would not rule our lives, but that we could, it says, live to righteousness. He died or he suffered for us in that he showed us how to deal with injustice. First, he didn't retaliate. When people insulted him, when he experienced all kinds of suffering, he didn't fight back. Rather, he trusted himself to the Father. We have these words on the cross, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Instead of Taking his own justice, he, 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 he trusted God for justice. Of course, Romans 12, it says, don't take your own revenge, but leave room for, for the justice of God. I will repay, says the Lord. When we trust God, as Jesus did with all injustices that happened to us, we can be assured of this, that every sin that happens to us or through us that is not washed in the blood of Jesus will be judged with justice on the final day. Christ suffered for you. So, I've been listening a lot lately. I've been, I've been listening especially to um, black pastors on the topic of race. And I have listened to some of our local black pastors have informed me that at their home, they don't just have the sex talk. Every, every home has the sex talk. Kid gets to be about puberty and, and questions start coming up and mom and dad, however you guys do it in your home, you sit down. Why? Because you want them to succeed. You want them to understand what's happening and you want them to know the pitfalls and the beauty and you explain because you want, we want our kids to make it. We don't want them to face it unaware. Well, here's what I found out from my black pastor friends. They have a second talk called the black talk. This is a talk we don't have as as white people. Uh, We don't have the white talk. But here's how the black talk goes. They get to that age. They've been protected until now. And usually the the talk comes about because of some injustice that's experienced and, and the kid doesn't understand it. And it's time now for... The black talk. The purpose of the talk is not to make them afraid of injustice. The purpose of the talk is not to make them angry about injustice. The purpose of the talk is just to explain the reality of injustice. This is some of the stuff you're going to face. And here's how you can overcome. Here is how you can overcome with Jesus. You need to know this is real. You need to know that you're going to experience this. But you can win. You can overcome. And I got to thinking about our text. Because Peter is writing to these people in Asia that are undergoing suffering for their faith. 
And I got to thinking about our world. I don't know if you knew this, but the Voice of Martyrs uh, has called tomorrow, June 29th, um, a day to remember the, the persecuted church and to all those that are dying for faith. And as I was just thinking about it, I, 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 I was thinking about, what if, I, what, if we, what if you lived in India? I was just in India a few years ago, and we were at the home of a pastor. He's got a whole family, and he said, we've got about 200 people in our church. He said, everyone in this church is in the church because of a miracle that happened, either directly to them or usually to a family member. He said, here's why. It's not convenient to be a Christian here. It's really, really difficult. You can't get, there's money that the government gives to those that are Hindu, and you don't get it if you're a Christian. There's money for education you get if you're a Hindu. You don't get it if you're a Christian. And so they have to have the Christian talk of why your life's going to be harder because you're a Christian. I was in China a couple years ago. Did you know that China is moving to a social credit system? Eventually, it will be the whole nation. Right now, it's in, they're experimenting in different areas, but here's the social credit system. They know by facial recognition who you are, and there's a number placed on you, and the number determines how loyal you are to the Communist Party, and you get a number for that. And of course, if you become a Christian, you get a very low number, and that means it's going to be harder for you, harder to get education, harder to get jobs, harder to get promoted. Your life is going to be harder just because you're a Christian. So at some point, every, every believer, you're, you're raising a family of Christians. They love Jesus. Jesus is the answer. But at some point, you have to have the Christian talk. The, it's going to be hard. Iran. In Iran today, um, if you become a Christian, if you convert from Islam to Christianity, you are treated as an apostate. You are treated as a second-class Christian or a second-class citizen, and you lose many, many rights that Muslims would have in Iran. This is many, many Islamic countries. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of them, it's actually illegal to become a Christian, and the penalty is death. And you has to have to have a different talk in that situation. But I was just, I was imagining myself, I'm listening to the world and what's going on in the world, and I'm, what do you tell your kid? What do you tell your 12-year-old kid when the first time he suffers just because of his faith? And I thought, what, what would you say to him? And you say, Pastor Tom, well, praise God, we live in America. Listen, this talk could be coming to America. More and more, Christianity is becoming minority. It could become, it, 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 we don't know where this thing is going. But I want you to consider the Christian talk. So here's, here's our story time. So kid has turned 12, maybe has experienced a little persecution, but instead of mom or dad giving the Christian talk, Jesus himself is going to give the talk. Jesus is in this chair. The 12-year-old child is in this chair. What would Jesus say to those living in these countries. Let's find out. My precious child, you've been mostly protected until now. 
But I want you to know what you're going to face as a Christian in this country that you are temporarily living in. Heaven is your home, but you're living here for now. And I want you to know that you can always overcome through me. First, I want you to know that it's no mistake that you were born at this time and in this place. I myself have determined where and when all people live and call everyone to seek me from the circumstances I have placed them in. Whatever you feel about the way you look to people, I want you to know that you are beautiful to me. Seek me, my child, and find your identity in me. If you allow people to give you your identity, then people will be able to take your identity away. Your life is of immense value, not because of what people think or don't think about you, but because I created you and redeemed you by my precious blood. The second thing I want you to know is how hard your life will be if you don't keep your eyes on me. Many will doubt you and some will hate you just because of your faith in me. Never be surprised as to how much sin and Satan can twist the human spirit into fear, hatred, prejudice, and pride. Yet never be cynical about people. No matter what they look like to you now, I still love them and want to redeem them. It will always seem that you have to work harder and be better than others to gain the same trust and promotions that come easily to, the, to others who enjoy privileges in your country that you don't have because of your faith in me. But, but Jesus, sir, that's not fair. Why should some have to work harder and be better for the same result? Child, whoever told you that life during this time was going to be fair? Our Father has purposely given different gifts and different crosses so human beings might learn humility, compassion, and faithfulness. I gladly bore my cross for you. Now I'm asking you to bear your cross for me. And by the way, It's not the same result. When you have to work harder and be better, your character becomes strong and you properly value what you have gained with a grateful heart. Pray for those who are given more privileges by the society you live in because they are often blinded to their blessings and their souls become hardened in entitlement. I resist the proud And life is miserable apart from my grace. Even if a person may seem to have all this world's pleasures and advantages. The last thing I want to warn you about is two of the enemy's attacks you will have to overcome. One is self-pity. The enemy wants to make you a victim of your circumstances and cause you to be offended with me. Remember this. You are never a victim. I was with Joseph in prison when he was falsely accused and nothing the enemy did could keep him from fulfilling my plan. The only thing that could have stopped it was Joseph himself. If he had given in to self-pity 
and chosen to turn away from me, all of my plans for him would have gone unfulfilled and I would have raised someone else up to deliver his family. Know this, my precious child. I will use every difficult, unjust thing done to you if you will let me. Your part is to forgive people and trust me. My part is to work out all things for your good and my glory. But Jesus, what if people and this government keep me from fulfilling my dreams? Child, you don't have to fulfill your dreams, but only my dream for you. Make plans, but don't cling to them. Cling to me, and my purpose will prevail. You will die many times to your dreams so that my dream and purpose may be fully realized in your life. The other attack to watch out for is bitterness. When you experience injustice personally or see it around you, anger will rise up in your spirit. That is part of being in my image. But living in anger will not produce my righteousness in the world, but only bitterness in your heart. When you walk in bitterness, many of those around you will easily pick it up and become defiled along with you. Be careful to bring your anger to me and let me be in charge of bringing justice to the world. It is only then that you will hear my voice clearly enough to be part of my solution. And never forget that you have a secret weapon. I have a secret weapon. I like the sound of that. Lord, what's my secret weapon? My Holy Spirit who indwells you is the secret unseen weapon I have freely given you. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. No matter what Goliath you face, always remember that it is no match for you filled with my spirit. But Lord, how, how do I access my secret weapon? Learn to walk with me every day and I will fellowship with you through my spirit. Honor him by acknowledging his presence. Ask, and he will help you understand my word. Listen, and he will help you with all the practical things of life. Obey him, and he will use you as a key that unlocks my kingdom for others. Lord, can I be honest with you? I don't feel like I'm good at any of the things you've listed. In fact, I know that I've failed you again and again. I know how you have failed and how you feel about it. Now I want you to know how I feel about you in spite of your failure. You are my beloved, favored child. 
And my heart is filled with grace toward you. Remember, my blood was shed so that you could be forgiven and have as many new beginnings as you need. Be cleansed. And be assured of this, my child. Your confidence in me will grow with every Goliath we defeat together. Just walk with me every day and make my fellowship your greatest delight. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. When your yoke is hard and your burden is heavy, you've picked something up that's not from me. Return to me and find rest again and the joy of the Lord will be your strength. Point three, healing for our souls. So Peter is quoting here. He's quoting two verses in Isaiah 53. He says, by his stripes, we are healed. For we have strayed like sheep. For we were straying like sheep. And now we have returned to the overseer and shepherd of our soul. Now you have returned to the overseer and shepherd of your soul. So Peter is very aware that Jesus is their shepherd. This is how he got called to ministry. He said, he said Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Tend my lambs. Take care of my sheep. Peter, this is your assignment. These sheep, they're not yours. They're mine. I am their shepherd. I am their overseer. And I want you to tend them. I want you to watch over them. So we can imagine how special these verses are to him. Very familiar verses, Isaiah 53, verse 5. He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was wounded for our iniquities. The chastisement that was upon him obtained peace for us. And by his stripes, we are healed. And then here's the next verse after it. For we were like sheep going astray. Each of us to our own way. But the Lord has laid the iniquity of us all upon him. Iniquity is that thing that's under sin. Jesus did not just die so that we could be forgiven of our sins. He also died that we could be healed of our straying, healed of this inward tendency to stray. Jesus came so that we could live to righteousness, so that we could live. Whenever we hear sin, we think of forgiveness, don't we? So that it's interesting that here he's talking about sins, but instead of being forgiven, it's about being healed. God wants more for us 
than to be in a pattern of failure where we just go out and sin, get forgiven. Go back to sin, get forgiven. Oh yeah, oh yeah, I'm a strayer. I, I just stray all the time. And that's my whole life is just, just sinning, straying, confessing, and just getting stuck in this pattern. No, he, he, thank God he died that our sins could be forgiven. But he also died that the iniquity that causes us to stray could be healed so that we could live in righteousness, so that we could live dead to the chicken and we could be alive to God and live in righteousness. Isaiah 61.1, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up or heal up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners. So Jesus, his name means Savior, and he did work to save us on the cross that no one else could do. He died in our place. It is, that work is finished. Christ means anointed one. Jesus is the anointed one. He is anointed to heal that which is broken inside of us. He's anointed to take off blindness off our eyes. He is anointed to get us out of prison so that we can live free. That our lives are not stuck, but we can actually live for God. He's the anointed one. But here's how he uses his anointed, his anointing. Anointing is a manifestation of God's power through us. The way he does it, the way he frees people, is through other people. He will put his anointing on, and he will bring that power, those words, that deliverance that needs to happen. He can do it directly, but oftentimes, his, it's still his anointing, but it's through people just like you and me. This is the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit. He said to his disciples, you're going to receive power, dunamis from on high, and you will be my witnesses. So we're doing something coming up in July called Freedom Fighters. It's three Sunday nights, July 12th, July 19th, July 26th. Ted, Gary, and I are doing this together. We are, there will be worship, then we're going to, to teach, and then there's going to be a time of impartation. And it's all about the release of spiritual gifts, the release of anointing to set people free. The first night is called the heart of a freedom fighter. The second night is called the gifts of a freedom fighter. The third night is called the authority of a freedom fighter. And you're going to, you, you will hear a lot more about this. But it turns out that God's gifts, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, are very different than our ministries. Our ministries are the place that God has placed us in the body of, 
of Christ. And that's static. That's all. God, the Father has set you in the body of Christ just as he willed. And so you can't, the most you can do is discover what part you are and cooperate with it and not be jealous that you're not this person or proud that you're better, your assignment is bigger than somebody else. You, you just accept the part you've got. That's called your ministry. But the gifts of the Holy Spirit, they're dynamic. They exist in every single believer. That's why Paul says, 1 Corinthians 14, 1, earnestly desire, pursue love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts. These gifts come when you're a freedom fighter and you're pursuing loving people, loving people that are addicted, loving people that are bound, loving people that are sick, loving, loving people. Love them so much that you want more for them than what you can give as a, as a human being. Earnestly desire spiritual gifts. God wants to release weapons to his army to set captives free. Pastor Tom, I'm open. If God wants to use me, I'm open. The Bible doesn't say be open. It says earnestly desire. Earnestly value those things that God has made available. So one night we'll be on the prophetic gifts and we will release and impart prophetic. One night we'll be on uh, healing miracles and faith and we'll impart those. We'll, we'll pray for those. We'll release those. The third night, the authority is on discerning of spirits and power to cast out demons. And we're going we're gonna to impart. God wants to raise a freedom. It's time, folks. It's time that the army gets raised up. God's got weapons for the army. And, and, and so we're going to be calling for people of all ages. You know what? I need to stop. I, I, could, go, I could go on forever. All right. 1 Peter chapter 4, 19. So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Wow. So here's what Peter is talking about. He's talking about a suffering that's undeserved. He said, if you suffer because you did wrong... That's just how the world works. You made a bad choice. You don't think I'm suffering unjustly. No, I'm suffering because I made a bad choice. I, I'm in debt because I bought that thing. I, I, and there, there's always going to be consequences. But P Peter talks about a different kind of suffering. This is suffering unjustly. This is where there's no tie between what you did. You've been doing good. You've been obeying God. You've been doing it. And yet, it can be the will of God that you suffer. That's troubling, isn't it? First, let me clarify. God never causes suffering. Here's how we know that. There's no suffering in heaven. Heaven, every, every tear is dried. There's no more pain. There's no more hardship. Heaven is God's express perfect will. So how is it that God, that we can suffer according to the will of God? Of course, we all know that God's given free will down here. And we certainly know God could intervene and prevent any suffering from anybody. But God has allowed suffering for sovereign purposes. 
And so Peter says, don't be discouraged when you suffer unjustly. Continue to do good. You're, you're going to say, it doesn't pay to serve God. I shouldn't serve God because look at I'm suffering anyway. And, and Peter says, no, 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 don't do that. Continue to do good. Continue to be faithful because there's a sovereign purpose that God is using in suffering. One of them is directly for you. That we are, God uses our trials to refine us like gold. He literally, what happens when we go through a bunch of trials, what we are comes to the top. All of our impurities, all of our fears, all of our anger, it comes to the top for the purpose of Jesus skimming it off. Say, yep, I wanted you to see that so I could heal it. I wanted you to be aware that that's in you so that I could heal it. The hot water doesn't put anything into a tea bag. It just brings out what's already in there. Sometimes we think we're stronger Christians than we are. And then we go through trouble and we realize, mm, not that strong. We think we're really holy. I remember me as a single man thinking how holy I was. Then I got married. <laughs> oh boy, not holy. The other reason why God will allow us to suffer in his will, even though we've done nothing to deserve it, is for authority to bring freedom to other people. By his wounds, we are healed. And by our wounds, we are given authority to heal others that are suffering in similar ways. This is 1 Peter, or 2 Peter, chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our afflictions so that we can comfort others with the same comfort that we have received. So I want to close by telling you about the most powerful day of ministry in all of my years. It happened many, many years ago in Faustin, Minnesota. I, I often say that being in the ministry is like having a front row seat to what God is doing. Well, in this situation, it was literally a front row seat because it wasn't through me. It was through a ministry that we brought to the city of Faustin, Minnesota. Faustin is a farming community, 1,500 people, way up north in Minnesota. They call it the home of the frozen chosen. And I got an idea as a young pastor up there to bring a guy named Dave Reaver to our community. I had, I had been at a youth camp where Dave came and spoke and I was so transformed by his ministry that I, I, I got the contact. I called down there and found out what it would cost to have Dave Reaver Ministries come up here. Um, and it was way, way, way too expensive because they come, to make it worth their while, they come three days at a time and the price was just way out of anything I could imagine. So I called them back and I just said, thank you, um, we're not going to be able to do it, it's too much. They called back an hour later. Dave wants to come to Faustin. What if we could do the whole thing in one day? What if we flew up in, flew up in the morning and we did all of them, and then we, could only, we would only have to charge you for the one day. Could you raise that much money? I'm like, absolutely. If you can do that, I will, we will raise that money. And, the, and, and his ministry works like this. You, you do public schools during the day, and then you have an evening rally that's around faith. And so I didn't want to, there to be a charge to any of the schools. I knew the church, churches never have the, enough. And so I went around to businesses, and I said, listen, we're going to make a program that will say your business helped underwrite this, but we want the schools to get his ministry 
for free. And I gave him a videotape of Dave. And so it was actually fairly easy to raise the money. These, the, the business owner said, this would be good. This would be good for our community. So they fly up in the morning and they do three schools during the day. One is Faustin School. One is Bagley, which is the next door community on one side. The other is Macintosh, which is the next door uh, community on the other side. He does three schools during the day. And then at night, we do this big rally in the Faustin Gymnasium. So here's how the schools went. Dave starts out by telling his story. As a young man, he had just married a beautiful woman that was his wife, and he got sent off to Vietnam. And while in Vietnam, they were in the middle of a horrible, horrible battle. He is about to throw a phosphorus grenade into the enemy's pit because they're receiving fire. And while it's in his hand, an enemy bullet hits this phosphorus grenade, and it blows up, and he, he becomes on fire. He falls into the water. He is, uh, he is burning in the water, and somehow they, they rescued him out of there. Uh, 40% of his flesh burned off because they couldn't stop the, 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 the burning. And, uh, and he went through many, many different operations and uh, landed in Texas, and was in a hospital there. And as he's telling this story, the kids are absolutely transfigured from horrified when he first comes in and they see him and how disfigured he is in every way. They're just, they, it, they, don't, they don't have a grid for somebody looking like that. But once he's told this story, they're, they're, they're all in. They're right there with him. And then he tells about, he just, he just has fun with it. He's only got one finger on his right hand, and it's, just, and it's stuck. It's just like this. He said, God left me my preaching finger. He knew I was a preacher, and he left me my preaching finger. And they all laugh. And, and then he plays piano. He only has one finger on this thing, and he's an amazing piano player. He plays piano. And he said, and guess what, kids? He said, I can play by ear, too. And he's got this prosthetic ear, so he pulls the ear off and starts playing by ear. And the kids, he's just, the kids are all just right there with him. And then he starts telling about what happened in that hospital in Texas. One of the guys in the next uh, hospital beds, his, his fiance came in and left the ring there and said, I did not sign up for this. And he starts thinking of his own beautiful bride that hasn't been able to get there yet. She's on her way there. And he, he, somebody showed him in the mirror what he looks like, and he's just absolutely horrified by his looks. And so he describes to the kids the feelings that he had. And he doesn't want his wife to have to make that choice. So he pulls out the oxygen tube. And he said, and I just sat there waiting to die. He said, and 10 minutes later, I was hungry. Because I had pulled out the wrong tube. (laughs) And then you say, well, why would God allow that? 
this. He was, he was a strong Christian. He was, he was, why would God allow this? Let me tell you this. What does a 50-year-old man have to say to a bunch of teenagers? Oh my, because of what he suffered, everything. Every single kid in that room that had contemplated suicide, every single kid that had felt bad about how they look, they could all hear him describe the feelings that he went through. And he starts speaking on why suicide is not the answer. And he's got them. He's got authority to speak to them because of what he has been through. And then he tells of his wife that comes in shortly after this and looks at him and says this, well, you were never much to look at anyway. <laughs> and he said, she kissed, she kissed me right in the midst of all of my burns. And then he starts talking to these kids about true love, about what real love is. And these kids are just right here. Here's how he ends. He says, young people, because of the laws of our government, the most important thing about me I cannot share here, and that's my faith. So I want you to come back tonight at 7 o'clock to the Faustin gym. I want you to bring your parents I want you to bring your friends. I want you to bring anybody you can. I'll see you tonight at 7 o'clock. That's how he ends all three of the schools. <laughs> so here's what happened. Faustin is a town of 1,500 people. 1,800 people come to the gym. It's absolutely jammed. And he tells the story of Vietnam. And he said, listen, here's what happened to us when we came home. We were there fighting for our country. We were laying down our lives for Americans. And when we came home, we were met at the airports with booze, with name calling, with rotten fruit. He said, it, we didn't know what to think. We didn't know how to process this. And he says, I want every, every veteran of the military to come forward right now. And all over the place, they start coming. They, they line up. Some of them have come in full uniform because they know he's, he's a Vietnam vet. And they are lined up all the way across the gym. And he says this. He says... To these vets, he says, some of you were never welcomed home properly. Folks, let's welcome them home. And all at once, 1,800 people stand to their feet. And they start clapping. And they clap for five straight minutes. You have no idea how long five minutes is. It was thunder. These people, had, I, they'd never clapped in church. No matter how dynamic I was, I never heard anybody clap in church. <laughs> this is Scandinavians. They clapped for five straight minutes. And what happened is the Holy Spirit fell. 
And these veterans, these hardened veterans are just weeping. Jesus was healing up the brokenhearted. He was healing the traumatized. I don't know why that happened to Dave Reaver, but I know this in God's sovereign oversight. This was the man that could give this message that they could hear. Like no one else could give it. After that happened, he gave an altar call for to come to Christ, for kids to come to Christ. 300 kids got up and walked to the front and gave their lives to Jesus Christ. Stunning. I would like the worship team to come back up. If you wouldn't mind standing to your feet. Here's what I felt like the Lord was saying for this service. He wants to come in his anointing and heal brokenness. He wants to come as the anointed one and heal that which is broken. That which keeps you straying. It just, your Christianity frustrates you because you try to be a Christian, but you keep straying. You keep going back to the same things. and, And some, it's addiction. God wants to heal you of addiction. He wants to go to a place that no one else can go, and he wants to bring healing. I'm not saying you're not gonna still have to do the work of meetings, but God wants to do something. But with many, he wants to heal you of trauma. Military people are not the only people that get PTSD. When you go through battles, spiritual battles, difficult circumstances, and because of life's demands, you just have to keep going. You never get to get better. You never get permission to get healed. And then you keep telling yourself this, I should be better. I, why don't I just be tough enough to get better? Why can't I just do this? And the reality is you're just not better. Something's broken inside. And you've got to stop. And you have to own it. James says this, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you might be healed. It's not talking about physical healing. Physical healing was the two verses before that. You go to the elders of the church and they'll pray the prayer of faith over you and you'll be healed. This isn't about that physical healing. This is about healing from sin. And so if, if that's you today, just if everybody could close their eyes, I'd just like you to open up your Open up your hands. Jesus wants to come and bring healing as the anointed one. Lord, I'm just a man just up here speaking your words, but Jesus, you are so alive in this place right now. You're not just alive in this sanctuary. You're alive in every living room that's watching right now. Holy Spirit, you are waiting to bring healing. So, Lord, we own our brokenness. 
we own not just sins that everybody can see, but iniquity that is that invisible thing underneath that just keeps us straying and going the wrong way. Lord, would you bring healing right now? Would you break the power of addiction? Would you release healing into our traumatized lives, God? By your stripes, we are healed. We were like sheep straying. But Jesus, now we belong to you. And you're healing us, spirit, soul, and body. Let healing flow right now, I pray. And the second call is very simple. Whether you're in the sanctuary or you're at home watching, if you've never given your life to Christ, this is how the Father has, has honored the Son. There's no other way to be saved except to receive what Jesus did on your behalf. And the Bible says that Jesus stands at the door and knocks. And if anyone hears his voice, doesn't matter how religious or non-religious, how much you've sinned, how often you've sinned, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. This is his express purpose for creating you was to redeem you so that he could come in by his spirit and give you the secret weapon. So if that's you, Jesus is knocking and you want to open the door, just open your arms like this and just in your own way, pray something like this. Lord, thank you for knocking on my life. I am opening my door right now by faith. Wash away my sins. I receive your gift of eternal life. I bow my knee and I unashamedly confess you with my lips. Thank you, Jesus, for hearing this prayer. Amen. Could we do a song together before we close? You know, sometimes when God gives you a prophetic word, there's the timing of the Lord, and you're not sure exactly when to share it. But as Tom was speaking on the message, I just wanted to share a picture that I had during worship. And what I saw was I saw a military tent. And I didn't know for sure why I was seeing it, but there was a military tent and there were these people that were on gurneys. And they were so wounded. And they were so in need of surgery. And as I walked into the military tent, I anticipated seeing soldiers that were battered and scarred. But those that were in the tent and on the gurneys prepared for surgery was the church. And the Lord says, if you are willing, I will take your heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh. For in these days I am tenderizing you and I will be your antiseptic and I will be the gentle surgeon that even gives you a heart transplant. For it is my goodness that will go into the very depth of your heart and I will transport your heart and I will transform your heart and I will give you a heart of flesh in place of your heart of stone. For there has been much tumult in the world around you. There has been many difficulties and many storms around you. But the Lord says, if you come near to me, I will give you the infusion that you need. 
and it will be an infusion of my joy. And I say to you, my joy will truly be your strength. And the world would know that you are my disciples because you have love one for another. So come close to me, children, for I am willing to do a deep work inside of you. What I have to offer you, the world cannot give you. For my hands are prepared to do a surgery inside of you. And the world has brought upon you a heart of stone at times because of confusion. But I say to you, my love will conquer the fear that is in your heart. My hands will remove the hardness in your hearts. And I will give you a heart of flesh, for I am good and I am kind. And so I just want to encourage us tonight as a response to Pastor Tom's message that we would just allow the Holy Spirit to do a deep work in our hearts because I believe that we need surgery. I believe that God is going to do a tender and a gentle work and there is no fear in going into the hands of the surgeon. When the surgeon is the great physician, there is no fear to let down the walls that have been erected around your heart. There is no fear when you walk into the hands of a holy surgeon. And that surgeon is your father that loves you with an everlasting love. See today, church, I will remove your heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh in Jesus' name. Lord, it is so easy to decide we're all better and now we're just gonna we're gonna be freedom fighters now because we're all better and I just feel like you, you cautioned us get healed first let me heal you the, it, the surgery we all want a very short brief surgery and sometimes that surgery takes longer than we thought and so Father do your great work through us and then, Father, anoint us and send us out of that tent into this world that is so dark and so hurting and so confused. We love you, Jesus. Amen. So, guys, we are trusting God for all of you to be safe, but... The protocol with this is we don't want you to stick around talking to each other in the church. The Lord has arranged that it's 75 and sunny outside. So find an exit and talk outside, pray outside. God bless you. Thanks for being here today.